let us open the copy, our copies of God's Word uh, to Ephesians chapter 16 once again. And we'll read from verse 14. No, we'll read from verse 13. Ephesians 6 and verse 13. Ephesians 6 and verse 13. Wherefore take unto you the whole armour of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. It is those last two verses, verses 19 and 20, uh, which complete the sentence that began at verse 17. Uh, that we will, with the Lord's gracious help this evening, be looking at verses 19 and 20, which we'll read once again. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. So we are continuing with the Apostles' exhortation uh, for the Christian soldier to keep the lines of communication open with the Lord, with the King of the Church, with the Lord Jesus Christ himself, um, as we started examining that in verse 18. If you remember from verse 18 how he was uh, exhorting us to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. A, a very, very broad application uh, that Paul gave. But now he shifts gear and actually gives an application for, of himself to the church there, asking them to pray for him. And when we apply this to our own situation, we understand, therefore, the importance of praying for the Lord's servant wherever we are. And that's, I think, enough of an introduction for the rest of those two verses need to be opened up uh, further. And so let us, with, that, uh, with the help of the Lord, learn something of, and the title, therefore, is Pray for Your Minister. Pray for Your Minister. And three points. The first point is the bold gospel prayer. The bold gospel prayer. 
And so we see in Ephesians 6 and verse 19, as he opens it up, having said uh, all those things, he's I'm praying and, uh, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me, he says, and for me. Uh, and so that's what we see. First, we see his prayer request, uh, praying, desiring the prayer of the saints whom he has just exhorted to pray. To pray for him, and who, and who is he? Of course, he is a spirit-filled apostle, needing prayer, uh, asking for prayer, exhorting that prayer be made for him. He clearly needs to be prayed for. It's not an, an, abund an overabundant thing. He needs to be prayed for. And of course, if the apostle Paul needs the believers to pray for him, how much more uh, does the simple gospel preacher need the flock to pray for, for them, and, and not just the minister, for anyone who has the oversight of their soul or who toils in the gospel. We will look at that uh, maybe in slightly more detail towards the end. So besides the minister then, think of the session, think of the presbytery, think of the board of deacons, think of the missionaries and, and for neighboring churches and ministers as well. So the simple application of Zen is that you need to pray for your minister, is that you need to do so. Because if the great theologian of the church, Paul, the great missionary of the early church, the great, um, in his missionary work, the great founder of churches, uh, the great writer of, of the scriptures, if he needed prayer, then, then this minor theologian, this sort of missionary, this, this preacher of the gospel, Paul the pastor, definitely needs your prayers. And that's really what we're getting here when we apply these verses to our own situation, where he's exhorting, you to pray, where he's exhorting the Ephesian believers to pray for him. I exhort you to pray for me. For if you do truly believe the Bible to be God's word, it's not just the Apostle Paul pleading with the Ephesians, and by application, the preacher pleading with you for your prayers. It's the Lord's own command that goes forth, uh, that you are to pray for your minister. And the head of the church demands it. That's the prayer request in brief. But secondly, the boldness of this prayer. Uh, the expression boldly occurs twice in our verses, once in verse 19, once in, in verse 20, and it's, it is an important word that we may already know from our Bible knowledge that is already linked with prayer. Hebrews 4 and verse 16 gives us that great encouragement to pray. It says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh, that, is, that is a verse that is on my list to be preached in uh, sometime soon. Uh, I've been thinking that for two years now, but it's still high up on the list. But what a wonderful truth that. But therefore, let us come boldly. Let us come boldly. So the word that we've just read, in, or I've just spoken in Hebrews 4 and verse 16, is exactly the same word that we have in, in verse 19, and is the same root of the verb uh, that we have in verse 20. May speak boldly is actually one word in the Greek. But it is the same word, and it's actually a very important word in, in the Greek language and in Greek culture. 
That word boldness you can translate as frankness, openness, uh, publicly. So boldly meaning publicly, speaking frankly, speaking uh, outspokenly, outspokenly. And linked with that is, you might not see it instantly, is freedom of speech, being uh, not as in some sort of First Amendment or so, uh, uh, idea, but in the sense of freely speaking in public. And that was an ideal that was honoured, just like the First Amendment in the US, but that was an ideal that was honoured, the, um, the right, the ability, uh, the duty uh, to speak openly and publicly and frankly about matters in Athens. So if you're an Athenian citizen, so if you were 25 and above, male, free-born, and had been born in Athens, so their democracy was 100% pure, but it was very narrow. <laughs> but in case, but that was their democracy. But if you were one of those, if you're over 25, if you were free-born, been born in Athens, and male, uh, then you, you had the right, nay, the duty to speak in, in the Areopagus, for example, uh, wherever there was uh, anything, it would have been in Mars Hill that was their standard place for debates. And, and, you, and you were to speak. It wasn't just politicians speaking on your behalf. You spoke on your behalf. You spoke on behalf of your neighbours. And so the idea of speaking boldly and frankly and publicly and openly was a, was, was a core Greek, Greek thing. Of course, that's a Greek thing. This is not a, a biblical thing. But it's that word itself has that fullness in there. And, and, and Paul is using that word. He's not using a related word. He's not saying speak confidently. He's using that specific word that had all of that, I wouldn't say baggage, but had all that extras added to it, had all of that context is better, had that cultural, political context in it. And so he, he uses a, a, a loaded word, and he's used it earlier when he wrote to the Hebrews that we've just quoted, because he's speaking about the rights, the access rights uh, that we have, that the believer has before the throne. And so you are, to, you are to, to pray boldly, but that he may speak boldly. So they're linked, the idea of a bold gospel prayer. Secondly, we see the, the bold gospel utterance. So he says, and for me, he wants prayer for him, for his ministry. And, and we've looked at how that can be applied uh, these days as well. Uh, but the, what he's praying for, he's praying for, uh, for two things. Let's read the verse 19 again. And for me, we've looked at that, that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So we're still keeping the idea of what boldness is in our heads. And that's the heart of the prayer. Two things, utterance and boldness. There are two things he's, he's asking for. Pleading is maybe a little bit too strong, but he's, he's exhorting them, he's encouraging them, he's asking them. And remember me too, that these two graces would be granted to me, utterance and boldness. And, and, and again, it's striking that the Apostle Paul needed to be helped, needed to be helped through prayer in, in this matter of preaching the gospel, that he would have utterance and boldness. And if he, how much more me? Now, the word utterance that we have here is literally the word. Uh, and it's a, it's a, it's a, again, it has a broad meaning. 
Um, but it means just the word of God. So he, he's praying that, well, he's, well, he is praying. He's, he's praying that they would pray, that he would have that utterance, that he would have the word of God when he preaches, because that's what he's asking about. The prayer request is about the preaching, but he wants utterance in the preaching. He wants boldness in the preaching, not, not only giving in the preparation, but most certainly after that in the preaching, as he says, that I may open my mouth boldly. And we see, therefore, how dependent Paul is upon the Holy Spirit's gracious help. As he prepares and as he preaches for the ministry of the Word, he, he needs the Holy Ghost and he needs the people of God to pray for the Holy Ghost. And besides having the right words at the right time, that the, the, the illustration would come up in his head or, or that, that cross-reference in the Word or, or, or extra help given as he's preaching, as the Word is granted him, he's seeking boldness to preach those very words that are given to him, that he's studied and, and brought out of the text. He, he, he wants those God-given words to be given and given out by God-given power. So he wants that boldness, he wants that frankness, he wants that openness, he wants that, uh, that public declaration, um, and it's all linked together as we'll see in verse 20 as an ambassador. But also because the word is filled with things like rebuke. It's filled with exhortation concerning the sins that we commit and we haven't repented of, we haven't taken seriously, we haven't seen the sinfulness of that sin or the sinfulness of our sin or, or concerning those duties that we leave undone that we should do. So we should shut our mouth at gossip. We should not gossip. So both negative and positive but what are our duties to be forgiving, to be merciful, to be helpful, whatever it might be. And so nobody likes to hear that preached. And, and, and it, of course, it's, it's... And to be honest, most preachers do not want to preach things that make their own flock uh, necessarily uncomfortable because you get a sort of negative feedback. Um, when, you're, when, you, when you're desirous to, to love a flock, you want the flock to love you, and, and that can be a dangerous thing because that can shift into the fear of man. So that's also in this, that the utterance and the boldness that Paul desires is that he would have the fear of God in the pulpit and not the fear of man, that he would put his finger upon those sore, sore places, that he would unfortunately have to tread on toes. Because it's easy to preach against Marxism, against atheism, against sodomy, and against things which are in general outside of a Bible-believing church. That's easy to some degree. Yeah, you only have difficulty with political or social heat. But when it comes to the flock itself and to say things against the flock and say, you know, this, this is what the Lord says, and you are despising the word, you're ignoring the word, it's, it's clear. And that, become, that becomes difficult to preach against those specific sins that touch the actual flock. People are easily offended and preachers are easily despised. And there are very few congregations, I think, that are immune to this. 
we always like to think that our congregation is something special and all the others, well, you know, because they're in that denomination and because of that preacher or whatever like that, but I don't think that is the case. So boldness to preach is, is very much needed, that the fear of God would be there, not the fear of man, the fear of God to receive it, but also the fear of God to preach it. And of course, then we have the aspect of preaching outside. When you preach outside in the open air, you preach in another area, another place, where there are people who are hostile to the gospel. Yet that does demand much help in utterance and much help of boldness. But they are linked together, these, this utterance and boldness we see here. And that he says, And for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So it's not just the preaching of the gospel, but it's opening up the riches and the depths of Christ in the teaching and preaching ministry. And so that we, we understand uh, by this that, that the fruit of a prayerful study and the divine blessing upon that study, and as it goes forth, that, 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 that the depths, as I said, the depths and the riches of Christ, of who Christ is, not just that you're a sinner and you need to be saved and, and you come to Jesus, but, but, but what was the work of salvation that this Savior wrought? What, what is this Savior still doing? Who is this Savior? Etc. And so that is he's speaking there, the mystery of the gospel, the glories of the gospel, the, the revelations of the gospel of, of the Godhead and all these other matters. So not just boldness is needed, but boldness with utterance to open up the Word of God, to fully open it up, not just leave it at a superficial level that everyone feels happy with, yeah, but the depths, so coming into the depths of our own heart to rip out the sin, but the depths of who Christ is to fill our hearts with love and glory of who He is. There's, there's much in the prayer for utterance and boldness that we see in verse 19. So we've had the bold gospel prayer, the bold gospel utterance, and then finally, the bold gospel ambassador. The bold gospel ambassador. As we see in Ephesians 6 and verse 20, he says, For which, and that refers back to the gospel, I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul the Apostle, the Apostle, Paul the Apostle has already induced, introduced himself as a preacher. as a simple preacher. Uh, we know that he's a missionary preacher uh, often. So he's a preacher, but now he says that he is Christ's ambassador. He's Christ's ambassador. And, and, and that's not the first time that he, he speaks of, of him being a, an ambassador in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5 and verse 20. He talks about him, uh, talking about all preachers actually being ambassadors for Christ. Verse 20 then, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us, that is, through us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. You see, that's what the preacher is. That's what the preacher as an ambassador is. I've got a message from King Jesus. And, and the ambassador, the faithful ambassador, is to preach that word directly, exactly what the Lord would have him to say. 
and to help understand it, we have the illustrations, we have the, we have the cross-references in the Bible, we have the historical examples that we, that we see in the people of God, all to be able to understand what it is that King Jesus would have his people whom he has saved by his blood, brought into his kingdom what he would have them to know. And he speaks through his ambassadors. And so he is an ambassador, and he, he feels and understands the weight of this. And it is so important that, we, that what is spoken boldly, what is spoken with utterance, is only of the king because the rest is, to be honest, a waste of time. It's either a man's opinion, a man's feelings, or worse, it's of the devil and it will lead you. And we know the devil is, is a subtle, he's a serpent, he's, he's a subtle uh, speaker of lies to just, just, just turn you a slight bit off here. Yeah, and this is probably as far as my math goes. But a small angle here leads eventually to a huge rift between the truth and where you are. And that's how the devil works. That's look in society, look in the churches, look over the last century, the last uh, decades, the last years, what, what there is. There is that constant slightly veering away, so subtle that I would say the, um, the Bible-ignorant churchgoer doesn't really notice it, especially if they're being fed by a faithless ambassador. But it will lead them astray. It will lead them ever so slightly astray. And we know that the Lord says, veer not to the left nor to the right, but we stay on that narrow path. Because within the confines of that narrow path, not only do we have, are we safe by the moral law, but we are preserved by God's blessing. But we're walking in the truth. We're walking in the truth with each other. And if, if society could see the people of God walking that path as they once did more clearly then they would look and they would see and they would be convicted they would be convinced that this is the people of God but now what do we have in the churches what do we have in the pulpits and so it is grace that is needed so I would I would say as I mentioned in the introduction the grace of utterance the grace of boldness means revealing the mysteries of the gospel and and to be an ambassador of that is 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 so important james 3 and verse 1 it demands uh, that we be ye not many masters knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation the word master means teacher and, and preacher be ye not many masters knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation that and I've, I've touched on this before in the preaching, that the, the Lord is very attentive to those that would stand uh, behind the pulpit. Uh, some men have very fancy words for it, the sacred desk and things like that. Uh, but who would stand in front of the flock of Christ and would, and would say that which is not right because the Lord is very attentive to who would feed uh, their, his sheep. And are they being fed well? Are they being fed a, a varied diet? There are some people that like to spend all their time harping on about the millennium. And every single sermon is a reference to their idea of the millennium. Every single time. And that's their hobby horse. And this is one of the blessed things about going through a book of the Bible and examining every single doctrine that comes out. I mean, it's taken us almost two and a half years. 
it has taken us two and a half years. <laughs> We're going over now to come to the end of Ephesians. And the safety of that is, is to go through as much of what the Lord has said to us in that word, as opposed to me uh, having a, maybe a penchant or a weakness uh, for, for a particular Bible author or a book or a particular doctrine, just going on about it again and again and again. And that's tiresome, but it's also not a, a balanced diet. You know, you might love triple A Albertan beef, and you may love eating a variety of steaks, and that's good. That's good. It's very good for you. But you do need your greens as well. You might need other things as well, dairy and whatever. Let's just put to one side if you're on a, a strict meatarian diet. But you need a balanced diet. You need a balanced diet intellectually, and you need a balanced diet spiritually. And that's why we have 66 books, which is why we don't just have 66 books of law. We don't. We have history. Uh, and if you think of the first five books, which are called the books of the law, the Torah, uh, it's not just law. The, the, the is, there, is, there is direct divine revelation about creation. There is the, the beginning of man, so we have our origins. Yes, that's history. But also redemptive history is in there, general history of the whole world. We looked at that in the Table of Nations and the first rebellion before the flood and after the flood. There's, there's so much in there, and, and, and it leads all the way up to the formation of the 12 patriarchs and, and, the, and well, them, them being ensconced in Egypt, which then leads on to Exodus and the need for deliverance from Egypt, etc., etc. So, I mean, there is such a richness in there, and through there we're trying to understand not just the directive words of God through a king, like Proverbs, full of wisdom and full of direction, Intensely so, intense blocks of wisdom. You can't even go, you can hardly, except maybe for the first six chapters of Proverbs, once you get past the six chapters, say, except maybe for the last chapter, uh, chapter 31, but the rest, you can hardly, you cannot barely take it line by line. There's just so much in there in that one text, and that's the Lord just revealing the intensity of His wisdom to us, and we are to then take that on board and use it. But that's Proverbs. What about all the other books where we see how the Lord deals with His people, how, how merciful, how long-suffering He is to His people, that we then learn, without it just saying God is long-suffering, but we then see how He has been long-suffering. So, so, we're, so the Lord gives us these many angles of attack, of direct doctrine, but also examples of how He has dealt with His people, how He has been merciful, uh, opening up his, his glories to us in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, especially when we see the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how the Lord would, as, as the Lord then gives us His Word, so should the teaching and the preaching be. It should be many and varied that we'd understand something now. We've been in, in, a, in a letter to a, uh, to, uh, to a church of believers or a collection of churches of believers in, in the city, in the region of Ephesus. Uh, they were Greek from origin, at least in language and culture, but they were Gentiles. And yet so much of Old Testament revelation is now opened up to them as Paul, as it says here, opened his mouth boldly to make known to them the mystery of the gospel. In fact, the mystery of the gospel would be a great subtitle for the epistle of the Ephesians. And so, therefore, it's important that that is done, that it is not just a hobby horse, but the whole counsel of God as much as it can be done. I've mentioned it before, but in case anyone wasn't here when I did, 
is that when Matthew Henry, when he began his work as a minister in Chester, northwest England, the first thing he did was open up Genesis 1 and verse 1. And, and he preached. And he went all the way through the Old Testament and started getting into the New Testament. Had already made um, uh, plans and, and, and preparations for some of the New Testament. But essentially all of his Matthew Henry's con uh, commentary on the Old Testament and some of the New is all his work, all of his preaching work to his people. And even when he moved down to, I believe, London for the last few, I think, few years, not many years, he just continued preaching through the Word of God. And so it's most important, if we're to know the whole counsel of God, if we're to be fed with all that God gives us, that we have this, that it's not superficial, it's not lopsided, but as much as God is pleased to grant health and strength and, and, and ability, that it would be the whole counsel of God, that all the words of the King would be spoken, that there would be utterance, there would be boldness, but there would be faithfulness as a faithful ambassador of Jesus Christ. So he is now an ambassador. The preacher is Christ's ambassador, speaking the words of the King. But we also understand from this verse that Paul is in prison, because he calls himself not just an ambassador, but an ambassador in bonds. He's in chains. And, and it's clear then that he's in prison, and we understand anything about Paul's history that he's in Rome and he's in prison, where he wrote the epistle. And so he seems also then to be give it the, the, a, a narrower context. He wants boldness to speak boldly in that context of being in prison, for which I am an ambassador, that is the gospel, in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly. Now, that word therein is a little bit ambiguous in the Greek. What does that therein mean? Is it, is, it, is it that in the gospel I may speak boldly? Or in my bonds may I speak boldly? It's hard to tell the difference in the Greek, and it makes no difference because he's in the bonds. He's talking about preaching the gospel. He wants to speak boldly in his bonds, and he wants to speak the gospel boldly because that's what he wants to speak of Christ and his gospel and he must continue to do so even though he is in chains even though he's in Rome even though he's far away uh, maybe by, by by local geography far away from a from a congregation but he's certainly far away from from Antioch and from Jerusalem but he has this desire because in spite of being in bonds he desires that they pray that he would preach and as he says in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 16, he says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Now, with that, with that, with that desire in his heart, with that thought in his head, he, he's praying as he's writing this, I was going to type, as he's writing this letter to the Ephesians, and he's, he's, plea, he's asking them, he's earnestly asking them to pray for him, so he he can continue that the necessity that is laid upon him to preach the gospel is still the truth. And he must preach it frankly, openly, and freely. So not timidly, not introvertedly, not, not lacking boldness, but being bold even there as he is in bonds. And because he's asking them to pray for him, he's not relying upon himself. There are men who are very, very gifted, 
And, but Paul is not relying on natural ability. And he's not relying upon learned technique because where you lack a strong natural ability, that there is quite often a seed of ability that just needs to be encouraged to grow and, and to be trained. But he's not relying on either of those, either on the natural ability or the training of a natural ability. It's to be based upon the prayers of God's people and the granting of grace to preach boldly. So where necessity is laid upon the preacher to preach the gospel, where there is a clear call upon a preacher to preach, then he must preach boldly. He must preach boldly. He must have that God-given utterance. But necessity is also laid upon the people of God. That's what we see in these two verses. To pray for that preacher. Now, the preacher may not preach the way you like. Maybe he's not as a good preacher as a previous preacher. Maybe he's not as good-looking as the previous preacher. Maybe his choice of ties is not your choice of ties. Whatever, whatever, or the irritation of the, he has too many illustrations, or he has too few illustrations. Whatever it is that needles you naturally, the necessity is laid upon you to, to pray. To pray for the preacher's utterance and boldness. And you will find that the more you pray for your preacher, that his natural limitations, that the natural irritations that go off from him will become less important. Because when you pray for people, you start to love people. To whom you naturally may not like, there's a natural, there's always a natural click with some people, a natural rubbing with other others. But when you pray for them and earnestly pray for them, doesn't mean they'll end up being your best friends ever, but that irritation it's just not irritating anymore. There is, a, there is a love toward them. And so we close with an application or a re repetition of the application. Please, will you undertake to pray earnestly and persistently for your minister, for me, as well as the session of elders and the board of deacons and the presbytery and the missionaries that we have to pray for them all. But as Paul says at the beginning of verse 19, and for me, especially for me, for the gospel's sake, for the preaching's sake, for the congregation's sake, and for Christ's sake, but ultimately for your own spiritual growth sake, as the Lord is pleased to bless me in my preparation and in the preaching, he will bless you also. So it's a it's a win-win situation. You pray for me, and the Lord will improve me. I may have mentioned it before, but our pastoral theology lecturer um, kept on emphasizing this over four years: is that when you get your own, if you get your own church, and you get into the pulpit ministry, give yourself a good ten years be become, before you become a decent, sort of semi-decent uh, preacher. And I know he said that uh, to some to, to cool their ardor and their uh, fleshly ability. And for others, like me, to give confidence. Not that I have no problem with the flesh. I'm not trying to say that. I'm not, I'm not as holy as I should be. But that, that's not what I mean. But it give encouragement to those that, you know, you go in and the people put up with you. Um, but it will take a while. And you will grow. And there's the encouragement the people pray 
and the ability is given and the blessing is given and that they will also reap the benefits of an improving, a slowly improving um, gospel ministry. But that's enough about me. Let's just read those last two lines again and remember the application. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Amen. May the Lord bless his word to us this evening. Let's just close this portion of our meeting in prayer, please. Our Lord and God, we do give thee thanks for thy precious word. We thank thee, Lord, for speaking to us and encouraging us, teaching us. I do thank thee, Lord, for the prayers that have been made over the last two and a half years, uh, are still made. Thou knowest, my God, how much I need those prayers how much this ministry, this pulpit, this congregation needs those prayers, needs thy blessing. Grant, therefore, we pray, boldness and utterance. Lord, that the mysteries of Christ will be preached boldly and faithfully as an ambassador of the King himself. That the King's own people will, will grow in the knowledge of Christ. And as we considered on the Lord's day, that he would increase and we would decrease. Grant this, O Father, in the name of and to the glory of thy Son. Amen.